Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. We've been going through a series on bitterness, and as I was writing this series, this sermon, this idea, this conviction kept, kept welling up, right? We're, we're talking about a lot of hard things over the last six weeks, right? We've looked at some stories. We've looked at the story of Naomi. We looked at the story of King Saul. We looked at the story of Peter. Uh, we looked at the story of Simon the sorcerer. And we saw how each of them were led into bitterness. And, and last week we watched Saul, as I summarized his life for you, uh, not ascend out of bitterness. In fact, he died in a horrific way, never having been restored. And that serves as a warning to us. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, we are taught that the Old Testament was given for our edification as an example that we should not do the things that they did so often, those wrong-headed things. In specific, in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the fact that the nation of Israel raised up an idol and began to worship it and dance and play while Moses is meeting with God up on the mountain. It was, it was a, I can't imagine being Moses when God's ire is arisen as his children choose to worship someone else. So we looked at some of these stories, and, and as, as, I was, as I said, as I was writing this series, this story just kept coming up and, and, and bubbling to the surface, and I thought, okay, we're going to end this series on a high note. Right? We're going to end this series on a high note. The highest note right now of all is if you've been coming for the last six weeks or you've caught up on our podcast or online on YouTube, um, that you have been dealing with bitterness in your own lives. That's the real high note, is if you've gone home uh, and you've done the work and you've started to dig and you've recognized areas that you've been holding grudges in and you've opened your hand, and you've allowed the Lord to remove those things from your heart and from your hand. That would be the highest story of all as an answer to this sermon series. We don't preach for entertainment, and I know, I know, I'm entertaining. I get it. But that's really not why we come up here and preach. We preach so that we might get our hearts and our lives in line with God. We preach so that if we don't know Jesus, we come to him as our personal one and only Savior, so our destination is changed, and so our journey can change, right? We preach for discipline. We preach to focus on God. So you're saying, what does that have to do with a, with a cup of joe? Don't you wish you had this right now? 
Somebody got angry just now. This is my Christmas present from Danny Girl. In case you're wondering who Danny Girl is, it's my daughter. Her name is Chloe Danielle, and she just picked up her iced coffee. Now I'm a little jealous. We're going to talk about Joseph, in case you haven't figured it out yet. The name Joseph means God has taken away my reproach. God has taken away my reproach. And we're going to see in his story that though he was a decent man, and he did much right, he suffered terribly. We're having to start everything over right now, so just hang on. Joseph was um, brutally, brutally abused by his brothers, by life, and we're going to take a look at that in a moment, as soon as I can get my notes back up here. Why does that say Genesis? Well, I know that, but we're still on a cup of Joe. Ah, I got it. It's under my control. Yes. Um, So Joseph is a story of, of tragedy, and it's a story of triumph. We're going to look at his story today. I'm going to go as quickly as I can without missing things. He's a blazing example of not allowing bitterness to grow out of the ashes of expectations, of failures, of abuses, of misunderstandings, of false accusation. He was able to pass through these fires. Listen, he was able to pass through these fires unharmed by the root of bitterness. There are people today that say, well, it's no wonder that I'm bitter and and I have a right to be bitter and, and if you went through what I went through, you'd be bitter too. You know what that's called? Making excuses. Didn't I say put your phones on, do not disturb? Who's guilty over there? Don't raise your hand. Don't be bitter because I said that. Don't be bitter. Be better. So let's take a look at Joe. Let's take a look at Joe. Joseph's story. You're going to find Joseph's story in Genesis 37. And then there's a strange... um, parentheses that talks about Judah. It's very bizarre. Uh, It has to do with God's law for the Jews. So you can skip that chapter, go to 39 through 50. There is your homework assignment this week, because I'm going to be flying through scriptures. And Nick, I remembered to put the, and Casey, I remembered to put the, the address on every slide of the scriptures. I can be taught. Sometimes I even remember. So, let's jump into 37, verse 2. Chapter 37, verse 2. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding his flock, the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And that's a problem in itself, but we're going to skip that. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. That may have caused some of his trouble. Now, Israel, that's his father, 
loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Are you, are you translating that in your head? They could not be civil to him. They didn't have a good word for him. Whenever they saw him, they're putting him down. They're mocking him. This was not a good relationship with his brothers. We could argue that Israel made a huge mistake. His dad made a huge mistake by obviously favoring his youngest son. But these 11 men, they were not good men at this point in their lives to hate someone because he's loved by someone. You know that happens in the church? Your pastor gets close to people. People get jealous. They get disdainful. They dislike the people that the pastor's hanging around with. And I've had pastors tell me, don't have close friends in your church. I said, that's bull. If people can't understand that the pastor's going to be closer to some than others, well then, that's their problem. And I still feel that way. I don't mean to be rude, but Jesus had three very close friends among the 12 disciples. Peter, James, and John. They were his close inner circle. Don't be the, the uh, 11, or at this point, 10 brothers. Don't be them. I digress. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And I'm kind of wondering, like, Joseph, we, we don't see him sinning. He's a type of Christ. He's an amazing man. But I think, it, I think sometimes at 17, just like any other teenager, he's not really thinking with the whole frontal lobe yet, right? My brothers hate me. They know I'm favored. So I'm going to tell them about my dream. Now, here's the problem with this. This dream was a prophecy sent from God. So they're not really despising Joseph. They're despising God because the word he's speaking is from God. It's a warning. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I've dreamed. There we were. Binding sheaves in the field. That's sheaves of wheat, right? Binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and, and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, his brothers already hate him. How do you think they handled that news? His brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Well, now his dad gets in on it. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come bow down to the, bow down to the earth before you? This dream is sent from God. Sometimes there are messages and words, the word of God that, that we read that we don't like to hear. But we should not ignore it. We ignore it to our peril. And his brothers envied him. But now his father, even though he rebuked him, he kept the matter in mind. His brothers envied him, but he, 
What just happened? Wow, it's like a lot of slides going on. Trouble's brewing. Trouble is brewing. Looking back on his life, as I said, he wasn't a perfect man. He's a type of Christ, though. A type of Christ is a prefiguration of Jesus. It's not a Christophany. It's not Christ in the Old Testament. It's a figure that points toward him. Joseph is one of the most perfect types of Christ we find in the Bible because there's very little, there's very little we can poke into his story. Right? We could poke into the story right now that he wasn't necessarily the wisest at all times. He was 17 and acted like a 17-year-old. Um, but there is no sin that we can, we can overtly find in his story. He's a type of Christ, a prelude to the coming Messiah. So I want to look at just a few things from the first passage that we read. Number one, his father's favoritism. Joseph's the son of his old age. Jacob, Israel, Jacob, doted on him. He made a special coat for him. That coat was signifying that he was unmistakably the favorite son. Uh, and it may also have indicated that his father gave him authority over his brothers. So there was trouble brewing too. This would be the spark that would ignite the fire of jealousy burning in his brother's hearts. He makes this coat and they start feeling jealous and it's getting worse and worse and worse. His dreams, as I said, were true. They were sent from God. But he may not have been wise in how he shared them. And four, their jealousy and their envy turned to hatred. Their jealousy and envy turned to hatred. I have two brothers. I love my brothers dearly. I could not stand it if I knew my brothers hated me. I mean, when we were growing up, they might have hated me a little bit. Because I was the favorite son. Thirty-seven, eighteen. Now, when they saw their brother from afar off, he's going to check on him. They saw their brother from afar off. Even before he came to him, Randy and Tracy conspired to kill him. I feel like that when they tied me to the tree under the hornet's nest. That should count as conspiring to kill me. Got these ten brothers. They see their little brother coming and they're like, you know what? We've had enough. Dad has made him a ruler. Dad has made him a favorite. He's coming to check on us again. Who does he think he is? It's time to end this. These, by the way, were violent men. This was a violent time in history. So, verse 23, it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped him of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. They took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty for there was no water in it. And Judah said to his brothers, though, um, guys, hang on a second. What profit is there if we kill him and conceal his blood? Let's, instead of killing him, I have a better idea. Let's make some money on this kid. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hands be on him, for he is our brother and our flesh. So let's sell him into slavery instead. The Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up from the pit, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took him to Egypt, the favored son to the favored slave. 
His brothers planned his demise. They were going to kill him. But instead, they sell him into slavery. And, and listen, we're going to read a little bit about this. still was not free, came to pass after these things that his master's wife, sold into slavery, he's now, in a, he's now a slave of this Egyptian master, and um, his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me, lie with me, Joseph. She's not saying, let's go lie to people. That is what this woman wanted. Now, Joseph was a really good-looking guy. He was physically fit as far as we can tell. He's probably tan, right? Just a good-looking guy. And she lusted after him. Now, we like to hammer on men for lust, but women lust too. And, and the Bible has a lot to say about women enticing men. Cuts both ways, guys. So here's this woman, and she's like, hey, slave, by the way, who has no rights, come lie with me. Now, Joseph refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master doesn't know what is with me in the house. He's committed everything he has to my hand. My master doesn't know the books. He doesn't know how much money he has. He doesn't know how many sheep he has. He, he just gives everything to me, and I control it. He was the steward of his master's house. He trusts me completely. How could I possibly do this? There's no one greater in his house than me, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He's trying to set her straight. What do they, what do they talk about a woman scorned? It happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work. None of the men of the house were inside. That she caught him by his garment. Said, lie with me. She's persistent. She grabs him by his garment, but he left his garment in his hand, in her hand, and fled and ran outside. It's a good dude. Not a lot of guys can say no. And so it was when she saw that he left her his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them saying, See, the master is he. He's brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice and it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and he fled and went outside. What is she saying? What is she saying? He tried to rape me. You know, it's the other way around, by the way. Sex through coercion. You connect the dots. You connect the dots. She says he tried to rape me. 
He came into me. He tried to rape me. I screamed, and he, he just he took off, and I had his, had, his, had his coat in my hand. And it happened when they heard that. I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me. And Joseph's master took him. Can you imagine how angry he would be? How many of you think he's going to believe the slave over the wife? So the master took him and put him in prison. Not just any prison. He put him in the prison where the king's prisoners were confined. And there he was in prison. And Joseph's master took him. And I already read that. Why is there so many doubles? I'm sorry. So he went from favored slave to falsely accused. Anybody ever been falsely accused? Anybody ever been falsely accused? Feels good, doesn't it? He was not only falsely accused, he was thrown into prison because of the false accusation. He's just a slave. I think I'm going to irritate people. Should I, Lord? No, it's not funny. I'm asking the Lord to fill me with his spirit, not mine. So I am not going to irritate people. Unless I do. So, it's heartbreaking. Consider how far Joseph has come. He's a favored son. He's got the coat of many colors. He's very likely in authority over not only his ten brothers, but over the house of his father, right? He's got it made. Now, his brothers hate him, and listen, I can deal with that. You can deal with that. Your brothers hate you. Okay, you've got your dad's. He's on your side. Now, it might be hurtful that your brothers hate you, but you're doing pretty well. He gets a vision from God, a dream from God, and he wants to share the dream from God, and it irritates people. And his brothers get angry, and they hate his guts for this. They sell him into slavery. That's bad enough. Well, now God had favor on him. And so he rose to the top of his master's house. And now he's in charge of everything, kind of like he was at home with his dad. And then his his master's wife accuses him of rape. There's almost no, no worse false accusation than that. She accuses him of rape, and now he's thrown into prison, and he's doing some prison time. King's own prison. How horrible it must have been. But, He's favored by his jailer now. I don't know how long it took for him to become the favorite prisoner. But let's not gloss over the fact that he was in prison. This is worse than being a slave and coming and going and having control of your master's house. He's in prison. He's doing jail time. And then he interprets a couple of dreams of two of the king's servants. And he tells them, well, he tells one of them, the other one died. He said, listen, man, remember me when you see the king and get me out of here. I've been falsely accused. I shouldn't be here. So when you get to the king, you've got to remember me, man. You've got to remember me. He's forgotten, though. This guy has his life saved alive. I mean, saved and um, 
instead of being grateful, he's forgotten. He's forgotten. For two whole years, he's confined to prison after he interprets this dream. How many of you think that by now you might be a little bit bitter? You're just doing your job. It's not your fault your father favors you. In fact, it appears to me that Joseph was what we would call today a high-capacity leader. He was incredible. Everything he touched turned to gold. He was so good at his job that not only did his father recognize it, but his master recognized it. Not only did his master recognize it, the jailer recognized it. And yet, here he is, forgotten again, two years in prison, sold into slavery. How many of you think you might be a little bitter right now? Because I can tell you this right now. What I can hear people say when they're finding themselves in these situations is this. Are you ready for it? But it's not fair. It's not fair. How many times do I have to go through something? I've already been through this. Now I have to go through this and now this and now this. That's not fair. And then, if we're not careful, we begin to excuse ourselves of doing wrong. Well, if this didn't happen, then I wouldn't do this. We we excuse ourselves of doing wrong. Well, if I wasn't abused, I wouldn't be an abuser. We excuse ourselves of bitterness, which is a sin. Talk about ungrateful. We're ungrateful for all that God has given us. This butler was ungrateful for the dream that that Joseph interpreted for him, and he totally forgot him. And I want to talk about just briefly the trouble with 13, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what Pastor Cloud used to say. Uh, When kids are growing up, put them in a box, give them a few holes to breathe, and when they turn 13, plug the holes. I don't believe that. I I, I love our kids. I love teenagers. I don't care that much for junior high kids, but no offense, junior high, I love you. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, (laughs) The only way Nate lived through middle school was that we had football in common together, and I don't yet know how Chloe made it through. Um, I have no idea. Oh, she played field hockey a little. No, yeah, she played field hockey. Anyways, I digress. What is the trouble with 13? Well, this is the trouble with 13. By the time the butler remembered Joseph, Pharaoh had had this horrific dream, and he is freaking out, like freaking out. No one can interpret it for him. And then the butler's like, whoops, oh yeah, I met a guy in prison. Hopefully he's still alive, like hopefully he's still there. Um, And he interpreted my dream, and maybe you should talk to him. So they brought Joseph up. Joseph was 30 years old. This all began when he was 17. 13 long years. He endured enslavement. He endured false accusations. He endured the hatred of his brother. He endured being ripped 
away from everything he loved. I do think people get caught up in the fact that he was the favored slave and he was the favored um, prisoner. And we want to make these stories prettier than they are. He was ripped away from his family, sent into slavery, falsely accused, sent to prison, is forgotten in that hole. Until finally, Pharaoh brings him up. Genesis 41. To Joseph were born two sons before the famine came. The daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. So between where we just had him brought up out of prison, and he's interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh... Pharaoh recognizes, again, he's a high-capacity leader. What he really recognizes is he's favored of God. There is something about Joseph. He's a believer with faith. And so, what happens again? He makes Joseph second only to himself in the leadership of Egypt. He marries a woman of renown, and she gives him two sons. Are you with me? Things are going pretty well for Joseph again. Well, it's interesting. He called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and and, and all my father's house. And the second, he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so what I want us to understand is we have this rags to riches story But this reveals to us what I mentioned a moment ago, just how hard this was on Joseph. People, again, you you candy coat this. When you read what he named his sons, when you read what he named his sons, it reveals to us, it reveals to us what he was going through. A slave, forgotten. He said that, God has comforted him and made him fruitful in the land of his what? Affliction. Thirteen years of affliction. Made him, he says, forget his father's house. All those thirteen years, he just wanted to be loved by his father and see his father's face. Thirteen years of not seeing his father. Or his brothers, whom he loved. Horrific. Terrific. I believe it was a persistent ache in his heart. So it's not just a rags to riches story. It's a rags to glory. And I want to I I make one more point before I move on to this passage. It was not the riches that saved Joseph from being bitter. It wasn't that he got out of slavery. It wasn't that he got out of jail. We see no evidence that while Joseph was going through these horrific things, we see no evidence that he descended into a dark place of bitterness. In fact, what we see is that he is is lifted up in each case and set in leadership 
And people are recognizing the glory of God through him. Now, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his, of his master, the Egyptian, number one. Number two, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Number three, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed by his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they, come, so they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life for those two years. These two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. But God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. What we want to understand, again, I don't want to read all the passages because we'd be here till three The famine hits. That's the dream that the Pharaoh had. He had this dream. He couldn't figure it out. Joseph interpreted his dream. He's like, dude, there's going to be so much famine, you've never seen the like. It's going to be a massive natural disaster. We need to get ready now. So so Pharaoh's like, what do you think we should do? And so Joseph tells him what to do. He gives it all into Joseph's hand. And Joseph makes incredible business deals with people. Basically acquires a massive amount of lands for Pharaoh. Um, in exchange for feeding people. He's just brilliant. And um, meanwhile, this famine in Egypt goes into the area where his dad and his brothers are. And so now they're starving to death. So his father says to his brothers, guys, listen, boys, boys, I want you to go up to Egypt. I heard, that the, I heard they have food there. I heard they have grain there. You gotta, we're going to die here. You got to go up, get some grain, bring it back. So his brothers are like, his brothers are like, well, okay, dad, all right, we'll go up to, to Egypt. They go up to Egypt and they meet with this, this guy, this guy who doesn't tell them who he is. They haven't seen him in 13 years. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He looks like an Egyptian. He hides himself from them and cries. And then he sends them back with some of the, some of the, the grain and he keeps one of them there. And it's just this really incredible story. How, one of his, how his brothers had come to a place of repentance. In fact, he said, oh, you have a younger brother? Bring him back. And they're like, we can't bring him back. Dude, they were scared. His brothers were terrified. This, this man that they didn't know who was Joseph had the power of life and death. He planted their bags of money in the grain, in the grain sacks that he gave them so he could call them back. And now they were really scared. We didn't steal it. We didn't steal it. They don't know what's going to happen. Now, was Joseph playing with his brothers a little bit? Maybe a little bit. But his heart was breaking. And finally, he revealed himself to his brothers and said, go get our father. And he gave to his father and his brothers some of the most fertile land, the most beautiful land that Egypt had, a place called Goshen. And this is what this this passage was about. Listen, guys, listen. 
Don't be, don't, don't be aggrieved. Now, they were responsible for doing what they did. They had to take responsibility for it. They had to repent of it. But what is Joseph's mind? What is Joseph's mind? What did he go through? His brothers hated him. They planned to kill him. They sold him into slavery and made money off of him. Once in slavery, he was falsely accused of raping his master's wife or attempting to. He's thrown into prison. He's in prison for years. And then finally, he's made the head of Pharaoh's household and actually second in command of all of Egypt. And the ones that started it all end up at his doorstep. And he has the power to do to them what was done to him. He could have thrown them in prison. He could have sold them into slavery. He had every opportunity. He put the money in their, in their sacks. As soon as that was done, man, they were done. But what did he do? Did he blame them? Did he hate them? He recognized this, that God is in the suffering and affliction. It's God's purpose and intention to bring great glory and good out of great suffering. Just sit there and think about it. We tend to think we know everything. We don't know everything. We tend to think we know how one thing affects other things. But we can't. We can't. When my daughter Kirsten was born and almost died, she was essentially stillborn. They had a resuscitator at birth. She was this beautiful color gray. I don't know why I like the color gray today, because it was traumatic. It was this chalk gray color, like a dolphin. Those were some really difficult times. In fact, they continue to be really difficult times. Please pray for her. She has a pressure sore. But without Kirsten being born, and without my wife and I going through this hardship, I would not be the man I am today. I would not have the compassion or the empathy that I have today. I would not have matured as quickly as I had to. And through that maturity, rose in leadership in our church and began to be a greater blessing to others. And I've been, I've, I've, I've been able to put my arm around people and love them and comfort them with the comfort that God has given me. I went to see jo Josh Wise when he was in the hospital with his boys up in Dartmouth. I went up there to see him and, and we went out and we sat at a, there you are, Josh. We sat at a table down in the cafeteria. And I don't want to steal your testimony, but can I, can I share a little bit of that? I, I looked at Josh, and we were just having this conversation. And because I had experience with Kirsten, I was able to speak into Josh's life in a way possibly that no one else could. And I got into this place of, this is 
God's child. I don't remember everything exactly what I said, but I essentially told him, are you ready for him to live? Are you ready for him to go home? You need to be in that place. He belongs to Jesus. And through that, Josh's testimony was, he was able to begin to process this grief and this pain and, and, and change the direction of his journey. And now Josh is doing the same for others. You just don't know. I would go to preach in the nursing homes. Try to connect. I'm, I'm, I'm a young kid in my 20s. Preaching to people that are elderly. And they're looking at this kid. And they're like, what do you know about suffering? What do you know about walkers and wheelchairs and physical? Th- what do you know about this? And I'm able to say, well... Let me share with you. One of my favorite things to do was when somebody said I had physical therapy, I said, oh, my daughter hates physical therapy. She calls it physical torture. And they would start laughing. They'd go, oh, it is torture. And the next thing you know, God makes this connection that without the suffering could never have been made. And I'm able to lead them to Jesus. And we saw dozens of souls saved in part because of the affliction. In fact, this is, this is affliction that came to me. How about the affliction of the false accusation? Things that happen to you, it's not your fault. You didn't do it. And all the consequences play out. What about that? This is what Joseph said. What man meant for evil. What man meant for evil. What you, my brothers, meant for evil. The people that I should have been able to trust the most. What you meant for evil. God meant for good. And you were just a tool in his hands. So when we face troubles and we face trials and we face heartaches and and we face all of these horrific things, we are able to beat back bitterness because of this. God has a plan that we can't comprehend, but we can trust him. We can trust him. I was reading an article uh, by... um, whereby Johnny Erickson Tata was being interviewed. And Johnny Erickson Tata broke her neck when she was a teenager diving into a pool and became a paraplegic. She's since gone through two bouts of cancer. And she wrote a book eight years into her paraplegic state called Johnny. It's been translated into 30 languages. It's led thousands and thousands of people to Jesus. It's ministered to people who are in their darkest hours. And it's 45th anniversary is this week, or I think it's this month. And so they're interviewing her. And they're like, how, how, where's your mind now? What are you thinking now? She's like, first of all, I'm thinking, I can't believe I wrote that book eight years after I was paralyzed. What did I even know? <laughs> She's looking at it like, I, it's amazing to me that I was able to write a book that so many people would help. Secondly, she said, I'm just, I'm praying right now, Lord, don't let me blow it now. Don't let me besmirch your name now. Let me finish this race with honor and integrity. And she's 72 years old. And then she talked about, how did I get through it? How did I get through it? She said, I I recognize that God has a plan for everything. Now, if I was an evolutionist, if I believed in the theory of evolution, that this was just a cosmic accident, 
It just happened. She said, I would never have survived. But because I understood that God is directly involved in my life and that he is using this for good and it is part of his grand scheme and he has called me to suffer for his glory and for his sake and for the sake of others, that is how I have made it all of these years. God has a plan. We beat back bitterness when we recognize, yes, life's not fair, but God has a plan. God has a plan. None of your suffering needs go to waste. Don't lose the blessing of suffering by being bitter, by allowing yourself to hold grudges of those who have hurt you. Don't, don't, don't allow the glory that God wants to bring about through your suffering by, by holding grudges and, and by, by being constantly angry and by always complaining. Why is this happening to me? Now listen, I'm not saying that you don't process these things. There's many times that I walk down this parking lot and I yell at, at God, where are you, God? Why is this happening? And it took me time to process that he was with me and that he was good and that he would work things out for his glory, for his honor, for the comfort of others to bring people to Christ. And so you take one more step and one more step and one more step. Blessed be God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to his, the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to the, his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, in that the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. This we who first trusted in Christ, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance under the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I'm closing it there because that passage talks about purpose and power and redemption and love and being accepted in the beloved. Man, when Joseph was in prison, he was still in God's hand. And when we read that Joseph was favored, Right? We, we, we read that God favored Joseph. Can I tell you right now that if you have come to Christ or if Christ is drawing you to him, you are favored. The, the word grace is favor. You say, but God allowed this to happen and, and my family is hurting and this is going on. God has favored you in the midst of your suffering. 
And as we just read in Ephesians, there is a purpose and there is a plan for all things that we're going through to bring glory to him, to bring salvation to the lost, and to bring comfort to those who grieve. Oh, man, don't miss the blessing. Don't, don't miss the blessing. Being redeemed is the greatest blessing you will ever, ever receive. It has the power to overcome the unfairness of life. It really does. It has the power to overcome betrayal. It has the, listen, it has the power to overcome abuse. It has the power to overcome accidents and non-purposes. Believe that you are favored if you've been saved. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I, I, I'm struggling. I, I don't have that kind of confidence. If I were to die, I have, I have no idea whether I go to heaven or whether I go to hell. And when I struggle and when there's suffering, I, I'm not entirely certain that there is a purpose to it. Can I tell you that the fact that you're here or that you're watching online means that God is drawing you to himself and he wants you to be his child. He's giving you an opportunity. He loves you so much that especially here in New England, where only about 2% of the population attend a church regularly, you find yourself in a church sanctuary to hear about the goodness of God and his love for you and his desire for you to be his child. To turn darkness into light and to turn evil into good and to turn suffering into glory. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.